Wash your fucking hands. Water is a chemical. What is happening right now? Marketing is delivering what the consumers want. Natural isn't a defined term by the FDA. Negative shit. Who would have thought synthetic ingredients are actually better for you than natural? Guess what? You're going to die. Welcome to our Vanity Lab, a podcast about the beauty of science and marketing by a makeup-loving cosmetic chemist and a skincare-obsessed marketing expert. Each week, we deliver industry news like debunking myths, confirming facts, and let you in on the tea you didn't even know you wanted to know. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Emmy, and you're listening to Vanity Lab. Hello, everybody. Today in our Vanity Lab, Emmy and I are going to be getting into COVID-19 and the panic to create hand sanitizer, what natural and organic really means, and how we feel about the mugshot trend on TikTok. COVID-19 has really been on the forefront of everyone's mind, obviously, because we're all stuck at home for the most part, and a lot of the outlet. I mean, we're based in California. We're literally on like a stay at home order. Not all states are, but we are. Exactly. But a lot of the country, or at least a large number of the country in densely populated areas are on stay at home orders. How we deal with that, a lot of us are just really staying on top of news to the best of our ability. We're really trying to, you know, stay connected to the outside world. And, you know, as, you know, Laura and I work in cosmetics, one of the way that we're really staying connected is looking to see what the bigger conglomerates are doing in our industry, you know, like LVMH, um, you know, Henkel, Henkel, me as an avid alcohol enthusiast, uh, <laughs> what some of my favorite distilleries are doing. And a lot of them are actually turning to um, switch their manufacturing capacities to creating what their normal product line is and to switching to hand sanitizer. And they're doing a lot of great things with this from, you know, donating to hospitals that are really in need to the community in general. And I think that's a really great, you know, turning point for some of these companies. And I think it's going to be something that really marks the companies that are sustained throughout this pandemic to some of the companies that are going to be able to, um, unfortunately, will to the will side, just because they're not able to adapt to consumer needs in the world at large. Yeah, like the hand sanitizer is something that is developed by cosmetic companies for the most part. They are technically an OTC product, an over-the-counter drug. So they have to be created in a over-counter facility that is sterile, that is clean, that is good for the human body because it's something that it has a, an effect on the body. It kills COVID-19, which is why it's so effective right now and why people are always saying like, use hand sanitizer, this, that, and the other. But I also want to remind people, wash your fucking hands, man. Like if you're at home and you have a sink and you have running water, wash your hands over using hand sanitizer because the COVID-19, if you did have it and you did kill it with a hand sanitizer, it's still going to sit on your hands. It is a denatured version of it, but you still need to rinse it off. If you're at a stay-at-home order, you clearly have access to soap and water, even if it's your dish soap, if it's your soap in your bathroom, whatever you have, like use that over your hand sanitizer. And if you are one of those people that bought an excess amount of hand sanitizer and realize you don't actually need all of that, please take the time to go donate to your like closest hospital, nursing homes, whatever, which have you that make you the most happy. Veterinary, parenthood. Right. So like go to those places. Like if you did get like really panicked and all that we're not hating on you we get it like shit goes down you get scared you buy things in bulk but if you didn't really need it please take the time to donate it even if it's just one bottle it'll make a big difference like 
obviously this is something that, you know, we as a generation, all generations, because there's many of us alive right now, haven't dealt with. Like there aren't really people alive from the Spanish flu era still kind of like walking and talking. And if there are, they're not walking and talking to the best of their ability. They're not like on CNN and talking about their experience. Um, and if they are, I'm living under a rock, whatever. But I think let's take a second and talk about why washing your hands is actually better than using hand sanitizer. Yes, let's talk about the difference between the two. Hand soap has a mechanism of action called emulsification because every hand soap that you have will have a category of ingredients called surfactants. And essentially, these are the bubbles. Then these bubbles, what they do is, is reduce the interfacial tension and they emulsify the oily components on the skin with water. So essentially, it's lifting up the dirt and oil away. However, hand sanitizers are to use to help remove microorganisms, prevent infections, and reduce the spread of infectious diseases. However, if you did have COVID-19 on your hands and you use hand sanitizer to to denature the, the virus or to kill the virus, it is still sitting on your hands. It is a dead version, but you still need to wash that off. And so essentially, if you are using hand sanitizer like sporadically throughout the day, it it is honestly better just to go and wash your hands right after because you if you did kill something on it, you still want to rinse that off. So in the end, wash your fucking hands, people. It is going to be more effective and it's going to be better for you and it's going to help the supply and the demand of hand sanitizer come back to us because the people who really need it aren't getting it. So wash your hands, people. Wash your fucking hands. Wash your fucking hands, people. (laughs) Wash your fucking hands during this COVID-19. It is more effective, safer for you. And I am so tired of seeing people making their own hand sanitizer at home. Like, please don't make your own hand sanitizer. Just wash your hands. Like I said, hand sanitizer is an OTC product over the counter drug and it needs to be made in a sterile environment. Your home is not a sterile environment. You can wipe down your counters with Clorox. It doesn't make it a sterile environment. So please don't make hand sanitizer at home. Just wash your fucking hands. And I'm just going to put this out there for, you know, the more layman audience who doesn't have like a cosmetic chemist background degree or even, you know, like my background in just marketing for a long time in the cosmetic space. So OTC over the counter like drug means that you have to make it into a facility that has been approved by the FDA and they are entirely stringent. So these are essentially the only people that can make um, hand sanitizer right now is people who already have facilities where they're making either alcohol, which is imbibed, and you are like drinking it and consuming it. It's obviously going to be um, systemic, which means it enters your bloodstream. So you have to have very, very sterile environments with huge safety precautions because this is not only something that is important to make properly, not only for the end consumer in their safety of actually using the product, but also for the people making these products. And so these stem to, you know, like the essential workers that are actually going to work day to day. And a lot of these companies are making sure that these essential workers are like on a skeleton crew staying well apart from anyone they have to work with on the assembly line in a very sterile environment. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, a lot of us are on safer from home, quarantined in our own home environments and interacting with anyone. So not only are they risking kind of their, you know, well-being just by going to work, they're also 
working with very flammable chemicals that if it's not done and formulated in a proper way could have disastrous effects. So, you know, hand clap, (laughs) which sounds really stupid, sorry. But like, really, I um, am very thankful for these people because they're allowing the rest of us to go through our day to day life just sitting in our homes. Right. And I want to just give big props to like LVMH and Henkel and all the alcohol distillery companies that are helping create like these mass amount of hand sanitizer. These distillery companies are creating like an excess amount of isopropyl alcohol and LVMH. They converted their fragrance lab into just producing hand sanitizer. Henkel has donated an excessive amount of product to hospitals and all that kind of stuff. So big props to them because honestly, there's some brands out there that aren't doing that and they're doing it for profit and that's not fun and I'm not into that. That being said okay so one I very much am so thankful for those that are I also really want to give props to the smaller indie brands that are like privately held that don't operate on credit um you know that are still supporting like a large number of staff that are also donating what they can and then also allowing it to go to consumer outlets so donating what they can to hospitals and then also selling it because that is going to be the most sustainable in terms of keeping that brand going and keeping the people who are considered essential actually in jobs. So they're actually donating it where they are able to. And, you know, that good is going back into the medical community and the community at large. And then also, you know, they're making moves that are more sustainable for them. Like as people make this shift, um, especially with, you know, half of the workforce going on unemployment or being unemployed or uh, on furlough and not having money coming in, it's really hard to keep those bottom lines. So, you know, the income they were expecting to come in aren't coming in. So if they're able to switch into hand sanitizer and sell a portion of that while still being philanthropic, I think that's a great way to, you know, keep that brand and company afloat Especially yeah, if they're I not price gouging. Obviously, if they're selling like a little tiny itty bitty Purell bottle for like $60 and really like inflating the price, that's... Well, that's illegal. That's literally illegal. Yeah. They can't be doing that. <laughs> exactly. So like, that's not cool. But if they're selling it for a reasonable price based on, you know, how much in price the raw ingredient of just isopropyl alcohol has gone up just to keep the company afloat and maybe cover the cost of whatever they're donating, as well as being able to keep their current employees employed without having to lay them off, I still think that's a good move for our economy. Yeah, no, I agree. I think we shouldn't be hating on these like more cosmetic companies coming out with hand sanitizer. I think they're finding a way to keep their own company afloat because like if you're a brand and you normally make, I don't know, moisturizers and you need to keep your company afloat because your moisturizer isn't quite essential. So making hand sanitizer not only helps the industry and the people and the like people as a whole, it'll help keep your company alive as well. So I don't think we should be hating on people who's making hand sanitizer just because they're keeping their company afloat. They're actually helping the consumers get more hand sanitizer because obviously we had a big freaking empty shelves of hand sanitizer and people were like worried that they were gonna get COVID-19 and all this stuff. So that's what that's what the brands were there for, to like create more. They're like, where's our hand sanitizer? We create more and then we're hating on them for creating more. Let me, like what? Double standard, I think. I think so. No, I definitely agree. But I think the brands that are really standing out are the ones that are doing both. Right. Like if you are doing like buy hand sanitizer, we'll donate one or we're blah, 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 or whatever the marketing tactic is. There are so many brands that I know through the grapevine that are, you know, 
donating a lot of the hand sanitizer they're making or are able to make, but they're not talking about it because they feel like it would be um, ingenuine to promote. Consumers shouldn't be going up to brands and commenting on their Instagram like, why aren't you making hand sanitizer? Or why are you making hand sanitizer? Like, can we just appreciate the fact that they're making it and people are donating it and the consumer doesn't know all. There's so many back background behind the scenes, things going on and people don't even realize how much love is coming out into the world from the cosmetic industry and people just need to take a chill pill on the attacking and all that stuff. Oh, 100%. And like small insight, everyone, on the people running the social media channels. They purely only run the social media channels. And 90% of the time, they are not customer care. They cannot link up your order. They have to contact the customer care department. Um, they can provide feedback to the upper echelons in the company, but they are not the upper echelons of the company. They're literally just the social media manager. Sometimes there's only one of them. And so I just, I, social media like, don't managers, hate y'all. on the people, don't hate on the comment section of the brands, like comment on what the image is. If they have a cool freaking cleanser up there, like, like, wow, love it. Wow. Haven't tried it. How can I try it? Blah, blah, blah. Where can I find it? That's cool. But don't be like going complaining in the comment section that, oh, you ain't making high-end sanitizer. Uh, excuse me. The image was of a cleanser. What is happening right now? Like, I don't know. Maybe some social media etiquette needs to be learned in this world. No, I feel um, that's going to be a complete other episode that I feel like you and I will actually touch on, um, yeah. especially because you and I have managed uh, social media for a couple of um, you know companies in our career as well as our own brands and yeah. uh, social media managers. Y'all, we love you. <laughs> Props to you. You put up with a lot. You field a lot of questions. And at the end of the yeah. day, you know, we know you're trying the best you can. Okay. So working in the um, cosmetic beauty skincare space for as long as I have, one of my biggest gripes is the natural versus organic versus synthetic spiel. Like... This is going to be another episode, but I feel very happy that consumers are becoming so much more educated on everything that they're applying to their skin and using. But at the end of the day, too, like they are not as they're not cosmetic chemists. They're not complete R&D formulators and they don't really understand the ramifications of what organic or natural actually means. Right. And Funny fact, I have an article that's going to be coming out in Cosmetic and Toiletries magazine. If you don't subscribe, it's a very good magazine to subscribe to if you want to get the inside news on what's going on in the industry. Not the tea with like Tati Westbrook or James Charles. It's like what's going on with the brands and what companies are doing and what trends are coming out type of deal. Um, My article's coming out in there and I did a little section about organic and natural products. And what a funny thing is, is that natural isn't a defined term by the FDA. Natural isn't really a word that's controlled by the FDA. So I can put that on any product that I want. I can have non-natural ingredients in my products and I can still slap natural on the label. No one's going to regulate that because natural is not regulated by the FDA because it's a really big misconception. And because people feel that natural and organic equates to health and safety, 
which I get because people think, oh, like my plants come from the earth. My vegetables come from the earth. So they're natural. They're organic. But that's not really the case. Just because it comes from the earth doesn't mean it's great for you. I just want to quickly point out that there are multiple ingredients in nature that are terrible for you, like snakes. Snakes have venom. That comes from nature. Cyanide and apple seeds, terrible for you. Highly allergic peanuts. Some people can literally die eating a peanut, but we don't see ourselves regulating peanuts. Poison ivy is deadly from us. Poison ivy is literally a plant. There's so many things from the earth that can literally kill you. Like the CO2 that we breathe out can literally kill you. And not to interrupt you, but let's remember that water poisoning is a thing. Water is a chemical. If you imbibe, if you drink whatever too much of it, it will still kill you. We are 70% water, but if you have too much of it, it's still gonna kill you. One of my biggest gripes is that a lot of the people really advocating for natural or organic don't understand the difference in molecules that occur on that spectrum. As a marketer, hyaluronic acid. Everyone thinks they know what hyaluronic acid is, but it's not about the actual chemical in this point, it is about the molecule size. And you'll be able to speak to more about that. But basically, the molecule size will dictate how much it can actually penetrate into your skin and the benefits you're going to receive. Whenever you're dealing with like the natural organic version of them versus the synthetic version of them where they're all controlled, you're getting the same thing. You're getting controlled results. They're actually better for you. Who would have thought synthetic ingredients are actually better for you than natural. I think people feel like if you can eat it, you can put it on your face and that logic does not apply. I can eat rice, but I'm not going to slap it on my face. I can eat soy sauce, not going to slap it on my face. You can all drink hemlock tea like Socrates, but guess what? You're going to die. But here's why synthetic ingredients are safer. Just say a rose. A rose grows from your garden and you grow like, I don't know, like 12 roses. It looks beautiful. It looks great, but they're not all the same. Some might have 12 petals. Some might have 10. Some might have nine. Some might have 15. Who knows? But each natural product has a different DNA, has a different way of reacting with the different other chemicals that goes into your cosmetic products. So whenever we synthesize something, we take the best version of natural and we synthesize it so we can continue to repeat it over and over again in the most safest, most effective way. So please don't see natural as healthier and safer. It is not necessarily the case. I'm also not saying that brands are just slapping on natural just because they want to. It's more of like a consumer need. And I feel like people need to understand that if we say that it's natural, sometimes it doesn't mean that it's natural. So I'm going to jump in there and I completely agree. Like natural right now is really becoming a marketing gimmick. It doesn't necessarily, okay, whenever there is a marketing gimmick, it doesn't mean marketing is behind that gimmick. It just means marketing is delivering what the consumers want. So end consumers are becoming a little bit more educated in what they think is good for them. They're not doctors. They're not the ones doing these experiments. They're not the ones doing that. They're kind of cherry picking the information they want to know. And so, you know, some consumers and consumer trends will really drive it, i.e. sulfates, parabens, natural, organic, etc. But, you know, let's also take a step back and listen to what you were saying about um, synthetic 
ingredients actually being safer because they're manufactured in a way that they're more controlled. You can know how they're interacting with each and every other ingredient in the synthesized formula. Um, the entire dynamic formula, you're no, you're going to know the results that you're able to respect, like expect. Also, I want to point out that half the over-the-counter medications that you take are synthesized and no one's questioning that. You literally take those like orally and then you're not going to put something on top of your skin. But whatever, I digress. That's my rant. So another thing that I really, really want to bring up with synthetic is sustainability. So, you know, one of the huge consumer trends is botanically based ingredients, right? And there's a lot of research that those work better, they're more bioavailable. But at the end of the day, too, you have to keep in mind that the availability of those raw ingredients are completely subject to, you know, global warming, climate change, crop availability, harvest ratio of like what's actually harvestable versus what isn't. And like, and sometimes those whatever, wherever that's derived from, it may not be in season. If it comes from a fruit, fruit aren't in season 100% of the time. So it's just all about what's going on with the earth at the moment. But when you have something synthetic, you can recreate it at any moment, any time. And it's amazing. And we love it. Exactly. So like in the sustainable realm, when you're using a synthetic compound of something that is bioavailable, and therefore you're taking the best version of that ingredient and you're making it sustainable because you're not beholden to how well this crop yields in this one territory throughout the year because they have the best nutrients. So with organic crops... The FDA doesn't really have any clear guidelines on what constitutes they actually organic. They no say at all. It is the USDA, which is the United States Department of Agriculture. And a lot of people see the USDA organic label on a lot of food products. And in recent years, we've been seeing it in a few cosmetic products. And the USDA outlines their strict regulations in regards to organic practices and, like, and handling standards on their website and all that stuff. So we can link that in our show notes if you care. You can put the organic label on like foods, cosmetics, baby care products, personal care products, all that kind of stuff. So the thing with organic is if you see the seal from the USDA, it means they're actually organic. However, if you see a product that says natural and organic, but it doesn't have a seal on it, don't believe it. It's not real. It's just a marketing gimmick. There isn't a seal with it. No one is going in there and like checking them. No one's auditing them. Like, how are you supposed to believe these brands that they're natural and organic if there's no audit? That's how I feel about that, to be honest, because how are you supposed to know? Like, I can put that, I can put organic tattooed on my forehead. Doesn't mean I'm actually organic. It's just a label. So I feel like, look, when we're talking about over-the-counter drugs, right, it's all decided by the FDA. I've been in facilities that have been FDA audited and they're very stringent. They're very, you know, by the book, very... There's lots of rules and regulations on an FDA lab because I feel like there's a misconception and I think we accidentally said it a few times is that there's sterile labs and there's clean labs, but there's no such thing as a very sterile lab. It is either sterile or it is not. And all the FDA facilities are sterile. And I feel like we should like make that known. Sterile and a clean lab are not the same. Clean labs are where many cosmetics are made and sterile labs are where drugs are made. Thank you. Like 
as a marketer too, I feel like that's something that I know and I take for granted, but I feel like a lot of like the lay people who are actually consuming these products aren't aware of. Yeah. Like if you look at the back of your ingredient list and you see a drug facts box, it was made in a sterile lab. It has an ingredient in there that makes it a drug. It makes it have some sort of physiological effect on the body and the FDA determine that. And so that's why there's a drug facts box because there could be side effects. That is the point of a drug facts box. For example, sunscreens and hand sanitizers. Because sunscreens can help prevent cancer. Hand sanitizer can apparently prevent COVID-19. Oh, okay. So also natural sunscreens. Like let's talk about chemical versus physical. So the two most common ingredients you're going to find in your quote-unquote natural sunscreens is going to be zinc oxide, which is, in, which is found in the Earth's crust as a natural mineral, and titanium dioxide, which is a natural occurring compound when titanium reacts with oxygen in the air. And titanium dioxide and zinc oxide are both considered what the consumers or marketers like to call it is a physical sunscreen. And In the scientific world, a physical sunscreen is also known as an inorganic sunscreen. And in the scientific community, organic essentially means anything containing a carbon compound. And titanium dioxide and zinc oxide does not contain any carbon in their compound. So in the scientific community, we use organic in a different way. And so I just want to explain that to you guys here on forth. So... When I say inorganic compound, I'm not saying that it doesn't come from the earth. I'm saying that it doesn't contain any carbon atoms in their chemical structure. So that's what that means. It's basically an inorganic compound that doesn't contain any carbon. And there are a variety of other sunscreen ingredients that you'll also find that you won't find in your quote unquote natural ingredients for sunscreens such as amobenzone, homosalicylate, octosalicylate, and like a variety of others that are super popular in the United States simply because they are classified as quote-unquote chemical sunscreens. And I don't really love that term just because literally everything is a chemical, water is a chemical, the air you breathe is a chemical. So I feel like a lot of times consumers believe Chemicals are bad, but literally you're probably sitting on a cannibal eating a chemical. The food you eat are chemicals. So just so that people get like a better understanding, chemical sunscreen shouldn't be a scary word. But in the scientific community, we view quote unquote chemical sunscreen as organic sunscreen. And so they do contain carbon atoms and these sunscreens can penetrate into the skin at a deeper level as opposed to the inorganic or physical sunscreens. And I just want to make that quick clarification so people aren't confused between what organic, inorganic is, natural is in terms of sunscreen because it gets really, really confusing. And I hope that I laid that out for you guys really easily. Personally, you know, knowing a little bit about the chemistry side and a little bit about the marketing side and why we um, promote one over the other. I like a sunscreen that does both. And that's not to going into, you know, the current, um, I guess, topic of what's reef safe, because that really concerns me as well. But I'm not a huge beach girl. Like most of the time when I'm wearing sunscreen, I'm like walking around my block and I'm like showering off into my tub. And so that's going into a like wastewater treatment center. It's not really going off into the ocean. 
that works the best. It's not only taking into like the direct sunlight that you're getting, it also is kind of like helping to mitigate any free radical damage you get. So you're really getting the best of both worlds with both of those active ingredients in that formula. Right. So one of the things that I feel just in general is that as I've stated, is that natural and organic aren't really real terms in the cosmetic industry unless you have like the USDA seal with the organic term. But what's coming out in recently that I've been seeing a lot is this program by the USDA called the BioPreferred Program, which I like to talk about as like the new version of quote unquote natural. The USA launched this BioPreferred program like a while back, but they've kind of more are trying to use it more in cosmetics now. It's a it's the idea of using bio-based products. And by that, like bio-based sounds like, oh, you just put some biology in something. I don't know. I feel like it's a very crazy term for a consumer. The USDA defines bio-based products as ones derived from fl- plants and other renewable agriculture, marine and forestry materials and provide an alternative to conventional petroleum derived products, which basically means it's a more sustainable way to create a product, but doesn't necessarily mean that it's quote unquote natural in terms of the consumer means. So they're allowed to use synthetic products. They're allowed to use all these things. And a lot of right now, I'm seeing a lot of these labels in raw ingredients. So as a chemist, I buy raw ingredients all the time. So right now I'm seeing a lot of that label on like on companies like raw material suppliers such as Crota, Dewpoint Tate Lyle, BASF, ACT Solutions Corp, which are companies that your regular consumer maybe you don't know exist. I believe in like the next like five to 10 years that this is something that's going to be really important on like the consumer label now because bio-based is actually the real positive new version of natural that I think the consumer should be looking for. A bio-based product means that it's sustainable. Bio-based products means that they're creating formulas with a smaller ecological footprint, which means we're saving the planet. They have more renewable agriculture. They're using more renewable items. So it's it's just better for the environment. It's better for our earth. It helps with climate change. So if you see a bio-based label on your product, buy it because it it did so good for the world. obviously, I don't have your background, but what I can say is that even as a marketer, I don't put a lot of stock into organic or natural or clean even. What I do put stock into is sustainable. So what I really feel comfortable putting my money into is that any brands that have any kind of sustainable output, like you know, whether they're using botanically based ingredients, whether they employ, you know, recycling at their companies, whether they're looking at, you know, more sustainable measures and um, using synthetically based ingredients based on the best bioavailable botanically based like chemical structure. Natural doesn't really mean anything. Organic doesn't mean anything. Clean really doesn't mean anything. What does mean something is as a business practice, how sustainable are you trying to be? Are you really moving forward with like climate change in your forefront of mind or are you being shitty? Right. And If you see bio-based on your product, it means they're doing all of those things. They're being sustainable. They're being environmentally cautious. So if you see bio-based on your product, it means the brand is doing something to help the world be a better place. But like something as little as this brand is using like a wind-powered manufacturing company for their unit cartons. Amazing. Love it. Versus not. 
you know, like it's something as little as that. It doesn't need to be like this brand is 100% sustainable, but like any tiny little thing they're trying to make to be sustainable because it's so easy to not do anything really makes me value that brand. So right now I'm drinking green tea because that is high in antioxidants. And do I need that for all the free radical damage I'm getting right now? And I'm not going to attribute free radical damage to a TikTok challenge, but like, man, the stress it promotes, I probably need it. You're not wrong. This trend challenge or whatever you want to call it is crazy. There's a lot of influencers and just different people on TikTok right now putting like videos out there of what they call the mugshot challenge is they're basically doing their makeup as if they just got beat up. And it has stirred a lot of controversy. And Emmy, do you want to speak on what controversy you have? found for me today? So my main distaste with this trend is that it's going to be a lot of, and you know, if you want to come for me, you can come for me, but it's a lot of fucking white privileged motherfuckers that are middle class that wouldn't even get pulled over anyway, that haven't been subjected to domestic violence, that are using makeup. Exactly. They're they're not in a place where they're the victim and then they're portraying themselves as the victim. And I think it really detracts from, especially during an epidemic, when you're at a safer in place order at home, with your potential abuser, if, you know, you are a person that isn't white wearing a bandana out on the street, waiting in line, what have you, you know, I just think it's really insensitive um, during this time. And I know that we're all really stressed out and we're just trying to find ways to, to have fun. But I feel like this isn't something that promotes going forward. This isn't something that promotes inclusion. This isn't something that promotes dismantling, you know, systematic institutions that promote negative shit. I think it's- Yeah, this isn't a positive trend. This only has negative connotations on the beauty industry and I'm tired of it. I'm so tired of people just putting negative connotation in the beauty industry. Why can't we promote and love each other for once? God damn it. It's, it's glorifying people who suffer. Yes. I'm like, why are you glorifying those who are already down? And trying to make it trendy. It's basically kicking someone when they're down. Like, why? Why are you doing that? One trend that I really do love coming out of this is a direct opposition to this mugshot challenge. I saw a couple of makeup artists and stuff going and trending on TikTok recently because that is my new platform of choice. One thing that I really really loved that I saw on social media across all platforms, not only TikTok, which I'm obsessed with, is that some of these makeup artists were going in opposition to the mugshot challenge. And they were like, hey, if you are someone who is being subjected to more domestic violence because of the safer at home order, you're not able to get out. Please text me that you are wanting to order for curbside pickup, this, this, and this send me your address, your phone number. So it looks to your partner that like you were just sending me your phone number and you're trying to like order something to like look nice for them. But then that makeup artist is actually contacting the authorities to help that person. So it's a very innocuous version of like getting help to people who really need it right now. It's not glorifying, you know, any kind of negative aspects of connotation in terms of institutional racism or sexism. It's really helping the people who actually need it right now. But yes, I agree. Like I'm giving high props to these makeup artists that are reaching out to these people who are in a place where that's not very positive for them and they're stuck at home with their abusers and just big props to them, honestly, trying to turn this negative, honestly, it's really huge negative 
mugshot challenge trend, whatever you want to call it on TikTok into something positive and something that's worth talking about, which I love. Same. Like, I mean, there, as far as social media goes, there are a lot of negative fucking challenges that happen all the time. And like, I feel like with most challenges, there is quite a bit of good that comes out of it as regards to like negative publicity that comes out of it. It's really all on how you take it and how an individual influencer actually reenacts it. Right. But like in general, this just mugshot challenge leaves a really poor taste in my mouth. It's really tacky. It's part of me. And the fact that I don't like identify as an alcoholic, like the we're all drinking every day. Right. One is like, so really funny it's like it's a way to connect with your audience who's also probably like maybe dealing with these things in a not completely healthy coping mechanism but you know it's still a coping mechanism so we're not going to give them too much shit but like but like beating your spouse or partner is never an acceptable coping mechanism no never so like, I don't know. It's just a completely different distaste in my mouth. Like my mother, you know, she's one of the most influential people in my life. Um, and she, her second marriage, like she thankfully got out of a really terrible domestic violence situation and was very upfront with me about it. And my entire life was like, you are worth it. You don't put up with this crap. Like that's just something I don't even want to imagine. So these these influencers that are able to like put out like, Hey, message me your address and your phone number. And it'll look like on the surface that we're trying to like send you orders, but we're getting you help makes me feel really good about humanity. Like on one hand, the COVID-19 is bringing out really shitty aspects of humanity, like toilet paper, holding, hoarding, hoarding, whatever, hand sanitizer, hoarding, etc. But you're also seeing this like outpour of, you know, goodwill of people trying to help everyone like in domestic violence situations, you're seeing, you know, people open up their homes or any extra rooms to like the homeless population with shitty times in humanity, you also really see the good times in humanity. Yeah, I feel like at our like lowest lows, you can see some of our best highs. And I think that's what we should be focusing on for the most part, because No matter what negative things that happen on this planet of the earth, there are so many more positive things that I believe will outweigh it, regardless of what's going on in the world. So now that we're done with the tea, let's do our low-key, high-key. All right, so my low-key product, because I have had no interaction, literally haven't left the house. I've only been like with my husband and our cats, but I'm still wearing my sunscreen every day. So I've really been like loving the Kula like sun silk drops. It's full spectrum, UVA, UVB, infrared, high energy visible light. So it's a really like lightweight, easily absorbable, protects against your UVA, UVB and your blue light from your computer screen and then doesn't pill with your makeup. So I don't know about anyone else, but I actually feel more compelled to wear a full face of makeup right now doing like the video conference calls than I did when I actually went into the office working for a skincare company. So I'm wearing more makeup and the fact that this isn't like pill underneath any of it is great. Um, It really reminds me of my ultimate favorite sunscreen, which was the Benefit Dream Screen from years ago that got discontinued. So super lightweight, doesn't pill, absorbs great. Also great protection across like all spectrums. Okay, so my high key product, because everyone who is high maintenance like me 
So I was like saying that I'm high maintenance, but I take care of myself. So it doesn't really matter. Like my husband doesn't give a shit how high maintenance I am because like he hasn't paid for it. He doesn't know half the shit I do. Um, but it's taking off my gels and being able to reapply them at home. Very jealous right now because I have dip on and I'm freaking screwed right now. And they've just been breaking off slowly. So high key, very jealous. So my only advice to anyone else suffering from not normally doing their gels at home is what you're going to want to do is you're going to nail file off kind of the top layer of your, um, your top coat, just so it's a little bit, um, grungy. And then make sure you have acetone, 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 acetone nail polish remover. Soak a little bit of a cotton ball on it and only place it over the nail. So like rip up the the cotton ball so it like fits on your nails and then clamp them down. I literally use these nail clamp things. We'll link them into the show notes. They were like $6 on Amazon. So with Amazon being a little bit slower than normal, you can still probably get them in like three days. Probably the same with the acetone nail polish remover and cotton balls, whatever. It's all a little touch and go. But you leave those sitting on for like three minutes and then you get like the orange stick and you scrape it off. But only once it's like lifting up. Don't force anything that will damage your nail bed. Wait till your nail polish is lifting off. Once that's done, leave it for a night, put on some cuticle oil, some Sally Hansen nail growth, like Miracle Serum, whatever you have. I don't care if it's coconut oil, you're rubbing it on, just like put some moisture back in your nail bed. And then the next day, like fix your nails as you can. I'm lucky enough that I have everything to do, like my gel nails the next day. That's a different podcast. My high key product is the Benefit Roller Lash Mascara. And let me tell you, I know this product was very hyped up a couple years ago, and I have been using it ever since. And I absolutely adore it. You, it curls my lashes upwards, and I have the Asian lashes that grow straight down. And let me tell you, it doesn't curl for anything but this mascara. So I love this one if you want some lift and curl and it separates my lashes really amazing because I don't have super full lashes. And so it helps make it fuller and longer without making it all clumpy and it doesn't look at all separated. And so I really, really love this mascara. So my low-key product is from Ines Free. It's a Korean brand that I found in Santa Monica. And it is a body lotion that they have. It's just their general body lotion. The scent that I have its green tangerine scent and I absolutely love it. The consistency is amazing. They have amazing ingredients. It feels good. It smells good. It just makes my skin feel good after I take a shower. I slap some of this on and I not only smell amazing, but my skin just feels so soft and supple and I absolutely love it. To gain access to our show notes and links that we mentioned earlier, be sure to head over to our website at thevanitylabpodcast.com. If you want to stay up to date to what kind of content and when we're uploading, be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Vanity Lab Podcast. Also, don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, whatever which have you on whatever streaming platform you're on so that way we can keep making content for you. The Vanity Lab Podcast is hosted by me and Emmy Lovell. All of our sound production and editing is done by me. Transcripts are written by Emmy Lovell and all of our music comes from Audio Jungle.